following is a message from Praise and Worship, a community of people in Branson, Missouri who are loved by Jesus and joining Him in His mission to bring love and hope to all people. For more information and for more audio and video content, visit www.branson.church. Today God's Word comes from Psalm 136. It's the basis for our, my message for us this morning. We're going to read this psalm the way it would have been written or read back in the Old Testament times, and that's going to be responsibly, and you'll see the words on the screen. Um, I can't really tell. My words are going to be in white, and yours, I think, are going to be in uh, blue. We'll see how that works. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of Lords for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who by understanding made the heavens for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who made the great lights for his steadfast love endures forever. The moon and stars to rule over the night, for his steadfast love endures forever. And brought Israel out from among them, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who divided the Red Sea in two, for his steadfast love endures forever. But overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who struck down great kings, for his steadfast love endures forever. Sion, king of the Amorites, for his steadfast love endures forever. And gave their land as a heritage, for his steadfast love endures forever. It is he who remembered us in our lowest state, for his steadfast love endures forever. He who gives food to all flesh for his steadfast love endures forever. Do you sense a theme there? Now, you only said that a few times, but I'm going to ask you to help in the message this morning by asking you at different times to repeat that same phrase, his steadfast love endures forever. And if I counted right, you're going to do that about 27 times. And we're going to see if we can embed that in, into your brain. Now, today, just a few days before we gather with family and friends to celebrate Thanksgiving, I really 
thought it would be good to look at this particular psalm because this is the time of the year where traditionally we sit around and we give thanks for a lot of great things. And I thought it'd be good to focus our attention here today on Psalm 136. It is sometimes called the Hallelujah Psalm uh, because it contains no petitions, it has no complaints, and it has no problems. It is completely anxiety-free. After three weeks, that's what we've been talking about here. Instead, it contains a list of moments where God has worked in history, and the worship leader would do exactly as I said, would read something, and the congregation would respond. Let's try it. His steadfast love endures forever. Well, let's start with the call to praise, and it's really in these first three verses. Uh, he says, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Let's say it together. His steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. His steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. His steadfast love endures forever. Only about another 25 more of those, okay? These first three verses really give us three great reasons why we ought to praise God. First of all, he's good. He's a good God. Second, he's also the God of gods. He's also the Lord of lords. Now, we know that there are plenty of little G gods in this world. There's only one big capital G God. There are a bunch of little L lords, but there's only one giant L lord. And to that great God belongs our best and our deepest, highest praise. Now, just consider the meaning of what we've just read one more time. It says he is truly the supreme being of the entire universe. And he is good in what he does. Now, it's impossible to overestimate the value of that. I mean, if, if God were not supreme, what are we doing here this morning? I mean, if he's not supreme, why come on a Sunday morning and drive from Springfield, for heaven's sakes, if he's not worthy of being praised? And if he were not good, guess what? You couldn't trust him one bit. But because he's both good and because he's ultimately God, he's ultimately Lord, we not only trust him, but we gather to do what? Praise and worship. So note the chorus in each verse. Let's say it together. His steadfast love endures forever. Now, these simple words remind us that all things display God's work on behalf of his children. That's you and me. Now, if Mark were here, he'd say, well, let's go back and look at the Hebrew, probably. Well, I am too. You go back and you look at the Hebrew word for love, it refers to loyal love. It's faithful love. You might even call it covenant love because that's what God established with his people a long time ago, a personal covenant. It's kind of like that unbreakable covenant that a man and a woman make when they enter into marriage. It's kind of like that covenant of love that a, a mama has for her little children. See, God's love is eternal because his covenant is eternal. He cannot not love his children. Let me say that again. He cannot not love you or me. But the meaning goes way beyond that because the text says God's love endures. It endures. It outlasts all the problems of life. If I back up to the, the last three messages that, that Mark preached, you know, anytime there's anxiety, guess what? It, God's love outlasts that. It transcends the troubles that you and I face from day to day or week to week or sometimes moment by moment. It, it goes on when our life even comes to an end. 
How many of you have stood at the graveside of a loved one? Most of you, most of you. We need to know the truth when we do that. And I've stood at the graveside with many people over some 35 years of being a pastor. You know, where is our loved one? Is death the end or is there something else? And what is it that gives us the confidence to face death when with our heads held high? How can we cross the Jordan to reach the other side? We can do this because, let's say it together again, his steadfast love endures forever. We die, but his steadfast love endures forever. We fall, but his steadfast love endures forever. We stumble, but his steadfast love endures forever. Well, let's look at the cause. Why should we be doing this? The the remainder of Psalm 136 kind of contains a survey of God's faithfulness. He starts with creation. He's going to end with Israel's history. But I want us to focus again at verses 5 through 9. If you've got your Bibles open, you kind of track along. But it struck me as being very interesting that these verses kind of follow the general pattern of Genesis chapter 1. Verse 5, for example, here in our text, follows Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Verse 6 goes with Genesis 1, verse 2. Verses 7 through 9 closely follow Genesis 1, 14 to 18. And when you read this, note that the universe and everything that is made is made by his understanding. And I think that's a key thing to remember. Everything was made by God's understanding. Now, this rules out purposeless evolution or blind fate. The universe came into being because God willed it to be. He willed it to be. Now, have you ever heard of the Big Bang Theory? You know, God said it and bang, it was done. That's the Big Bang Theory, by the way. It just plain simple happened. And it happened, and the writer of Psalm 136 would absolutely agree. If you jump further into the New Testament, you can look at Hebrews 11, verse 3. Uh, He explains the same thing. He says, by faith, we understand that the universe, as all of this, was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. See, this whole earth, this beautiful earth, and I get, you know, you have to look at me. I, at least every once in a while, can look outside and see the beauty of creation here. Um, But it it came into being by a plan that comes from the hand and the mind of an almighty God. Nothing was made by chance. Nothing evolved into being by random mutation. It was God's understanding, that's what Scripture says, that stands behind the universe as you and I see it. And since the universe, as it is, rests on God's understanding, no one can understand the universe without first knowing God. I mean, think of it this way. If you leave God out of the equation, you've missed the fundamental truth about the universe. And see, in order for us to understand the origin of this earth and the true history of this universe, we need to begin by understanding, or begin with God's understanding as he reveals it to us in the word of God. And if you leave God out, I'm going to say it again, you miss the fundamental truth about the entire universe. So we need to start there and start on firm ground. Start anywhere else and you're just kind of stuck. You're just really kind of in a big mess. Now, friends, if we don't come from somewhere and if we're not going somewhere, I would suggest to you that um, 
All we're really going to do is mess around for 40 or 50 or 60 or 70 years before we just die. And if that's the case, why not just eat, drink, and be merry and have fun? I mean, why get involved with anything else in life if this life is all there is to it? But see, if we were indeed created and made in God's image, if he loves us so much that he would actually send his son Jesus in his world to suffer and die for us, then nothing else matters more than knowing God deeply, knowing God intimately, and knowing God personally. I can't think of anything that's even more important than that. Let's move on to the Exodus, because this is another illustration, verses 10 to 15. These verses recall the miracles whereby God freed his people. It said, To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt and brought Israel out from among them with a mighty hand and outstretched arm, to him he divided the Red Sea asunder and brought Israel through the midst of it, but swept Pharaoh and his army into the Red Sea. Now, when I read that text again, my first thought was, well, it sounds like God had no trouble getting rid of his enemies, does it? I mean, he also had no trouble parting the Red Sea. Would you like to have been there to see that? I would have loved that. I think I would have been the kid that was walking through, I'm going to stick my finger in the side to see whether I could make it leak. Uh, but, you know, we should praise God not only that we are delivered, but that our enemies are scattered, our enemies are confounded, and they're utterly defeated. And the reason is, let's say it together, his steadfast love endures forever. Well, let's talk about the wilderness. That's verse 16. The psalmist sums up 40 years of wondering in one verse. That's kind of cool. 40 years, he puts in one verse. You're going to finish this for me. To him who led his people through the desert, his steadfast love endures forever. See, so many things happened in that 40-year period of time. It's actually unbelievable. I mean, think about it. You had manna and you had quail. You had water that came from a rock. Uh, you had Balaam and his talking donkey. That would have been an interesting conversation. You had Moses up on Mount Sinai. Uh, you had the golden calf. You had Kadesh Barnea. You had 12 spies. You had bitter water. Uh, you had bleached bones left in the desert. Uh, you had complaining and mumbling and murmuring and challenging of Moses over and over. But through it all, what was God doing? God was leading his people to the promised land. And I hope you noticed that it says that God led his people through the desert. He didn't lead them around the desert. He led them through the desert. See, to get to the promised land, that's always the way you go. See, God leads his people all along to heaven. I mean, there's no doubt about that. All of us today are on a journey to heaven, but we are going to walk through the desert of this world on our journey. There are a whole lot of detours. There are a lot of switchbacks. Occasionally, we have delays. Sometimes it seems like we run into dead ends. Uh, but God works in and through all of this so that we finally arrive because, and you know the answer again, the response, his steadfast love endures forever. Well, let's look at the conquest. It's an interesting story, verses 16 to 22. Uh, you, you're, how many of you, have ever, to be honest with you, how many of you have ever heard of Sion and Og besides Jeff Mitten? <laughs> Anybody ever hear of Sion and Og before we read those words today? Uh, you know, those of you that are you know, young people, someday when you get married and you have kids, there's two names for you. I, just, they're, they're, I, give, I give them to you. Yeah, I mean, Eric is a nice name. James is a nice name. Our son is Eric James. Those are nice names, but try Sion and Og. That, that'll work for you. 
Now, this, you can go back and you can read this. Well, you can actually back up one psalm. Psalm 135 mentions these two guys. But let's jump even further back to Numbers chapter 21. It's going to be an interesting story here. When Israel desired free passage through their land, um, they wanted to get through the land of the Amorites. Sion, the king, told the Israelites no, and then on, in turn actually attacked them. But he was soundly defeated by the Israelites, and they began to occupy all the cities of the Amorites. And so they marched further down the road, and here comes this guy Og, uh, king of Bashan. He marches out with his army, and he does battle. And he too is totally defeated. Let me read to you Numbers chapter 21, verse 35. It said, so they, that's the children of Israel, struck him down, that's Og, together with his sons and his whole army, leaving them no, zero, no survivors, and they took possession of his land. I don't know, that's a pretty encouraging little phrase there. Uh, these verses, because they remind us of God's faithfulness in spite or despite our past failures. You know, you read this and you think, you know, the children of Israel could have had every reason to wonder whether God was still going to be with them. They could have had every reason to doubt whether he was going to get them where he told them they were going to go. They, they, they might have said, you know, our sin, our complaining, you know, God just may forget us. We have no hope. We have no future. We've blown everything. But instead, this wonderful, loving God, what does he do? He doesn't give up on his people doesn't give up on his promises. So friends, take, take heart. Your past, your past does not determine your future. We all got a past. Some of us like me who are old have more of a past, but you all got a past. There's a lot of stuff in that past when I look back at mine and I go, oh man, God would have probably done a whole lot of people a great service if he had just smoked me with a lightning bolt from heaven. We all got a past. You may have failed again and again. You may have stumbled and fallen and you thought you were going to do better and you may have just fallen right back in the same hog slop again the second time. But there is still mercy for who? There is still mercy for those who trust in the Lord. And who knows, you may be struggling, stumbling right now. And who knows, you may wake up tomorrow and boom, God suddenly is going to give you the victory. And you know why? Because what? His steadfast love endures forever. That's why it's going to happen. And then we get to verses 23 through 25. It's history. Now, these verses here contain three great truths about God. In verse 23, it says, he remembered us. Verse 24, he freed us. And most importantly, for some of you in verse 25, he feeds us. Now, what God did for ancient Israel, he's still going to do for you today. Simply because... His steadfast love endures forever. He can't not do that, folks. Now, the conclusion of praise is found, this is what we're going to look at next. Psalm 136 ends with a general call to praise God at all times. Now, you can finish this sentence for me. Give thanks to the God of heaven. His steadfast love endures forever. So let me conclude with some conclusions. That makes sense, doesn't it? I got three of them. Three conclusions. Number one, history is not about us. History is not about us. History is all about God. Uh, this may seem elementary, but I think it's a pretty profound truth when you think about it. You are not the center of the universe. I'm sorry to let you know that. You're not the center of the universe. I'm not the center of the universe. None of you are. 
Now, what happens to you matters. I'm not saying it doesn't matter. But the real point of life is to glorify God in all things. Not to do the little Jack Horner who sat in the corner. You know that one? You know, he stuck in his thumb, pulled out a plum and said, what? What a good boy am I? No, you're not. Put the plum back where it belongs. God is the only one that is really good. Now, what happens matters, but the real point is to give God the glory, to see his hand at work in everything that happens, to believe in him even in the darkest moments of your life, to give him thanks for every victory you have. And Joel and I are rejoicing that our Cornhuskers actually played like Huskers yesterday. Finally, we've had dark moments. Now, some of you, sorry about that, your team, but ours finally won yesterday. Uh, and to give him thanks for every victory. There was another victory. Hope we need one more so we can get bowl eligible. Sorry if you're from Iowa. To lean on his word. We looked at that this morning in Bible class. To, to lean on his word and to, to dig deep into that. To grow to be more like him day after day after day. To live so that other people find it easy to actually believe in him. Let me say that again. We need to live in such a way that other people find it easy to believe in him. Because sometimes, as Christians, we can get pretty prickly in public. And there may be people who look at us from time to time and say, if that person is a Christian, I'm not so sure I want to belong. Jeff and I have been kind of going back and forth to this thing about building a bridge. You know, it's called relationship building. Building bridges between ourselves and another person so that hopefully at some point Jesus can cross over that bridge. And so we don't want to do anything that's going to disturb that bridge. We want to live in such a way that we make Christianity seem like a really good thing to have. That's why the psalmist connects the concrete facts of history with this triumphant shout of praise. And if we miss this or downplay this, or we think that God is somehow optional in our lives, then we've missed the whole purpose of why we're even here on this earth. In this long recital of Israel's history, the psalmist covers centuries of time just in a few sentences. See, God's plan was not always easily seen at every step along the way. So when the Jews were groaning in Egypt under all of the pharaohs, we could understand why they might have felt bad. I mean, they were being punished. They were being worked hard. They were probably beaten. And they, they were slaves. But what happened? They got out, delivered by God's great hand with all of those plagues, marching them through the Red Sea, taking them to a safe place. And what did they do? They started mumbling. The Bible says murmuring. Can you imagine being the pastor of a church of 3,000 people and hear everybody going, murmur, Well, he had slightly more than the 3,000 I had at one time. I tell you, I never heard 3,000 murmur. But you can imagine what that'd be like. You ever raise kids? You ever hear them? You know, you know what I'm talking about. That's what this is all about. In fact, they did that so often, they wished they were back in slavery. They, they even tell it, oh, we miss all this food we used to eat. <laughs> Nonsense. They weren't eating that stuff. They were slaves. One of, my, one of my good friends, Manny Mills, says, the return to Egypt is out of the question for those who call themselves Christ followers. Egypt is no longer an option. We're not going back. We're going with Jesus. See how quick sometimes we forget God's goodness. We pray for his deliverance, and when the deliverance comes, what do we do? 
Well, that's okay, but God, can you do something else for me? Uh, this psalm reminds us that God's ways and our ways are not the same. Now, generally, we only see God's plan in retrospect, or as I've read in the past, maybe you've heard this before, that life is often best viewed how? Through a rear view mirror. You're close to, you kind of go, oh, that's what that was all about. Now I see what God was up to at that particular time. You know, sometimes when we are in the furnace, though, all we ever see is the flames. We forget that there's a God out there, like those three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I really think we need a psalm like 136 every once in a while. Uh, because we're so prone to forget what this psalm is all about or what God is all about, uh, that God works across our centuries to establish his purposes on earth and in our lives. And just because we don't see it on a Sunday morning at 1038 doesn't mean it's not there. It just means we don't see it. That's all it means. See, we are not the center of the universe. God is. And it's best that we should meditate on that fact because we certainly need to remember it before this year is over. Here's the second conclusion. That our faith rests on facts. The long recital of this history teaches us that there are God working in history. Some of you who read your Bibles regularly may have come across Acts chapter 26, where um, the Apostle Paul is defending his faith against King Agrippa. And he concludes with a statement regarding the death and resurrection of Jesus with these words. He said to King Agrippa, I am convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it was not done in a corner. What he's really saying is, oh, King, you don't have to take my word for it. Check it out. Check out the facts. The facts are there for you to see. That's why sometimes the very best answer you can give to a skeptic is to say, Read the Bible and make up your own mind. See, we have nothing really to fear from skeptics, people who are opposed to us as Christians, because our faith is founded on the great realities of the Bible. Now, what are the great realities of the Bible? Well, it's a literal creation by the very hand of God. It's the existence of Israel, if you will. It is the, all of the miracles that are in the Old Testament. It's the 330-some prophecies about the coming Messiah in the Old Testament that are all fulfilled in one man in the New Testament. It's towering above all of that is still the virgin birth, the sinless life, the sacrificial death, and the victorious resurrection of Jesus and his triumphant ascension into heaven. These things were not done in a corner. They're out there for everybody to see. Read about them. Think about them, deal with them. My last point, remember the big picture. Let's say the big picture together. His steadfast love endures forever. When you feel yourself being tempted to despair, ponder this thought, the steadfast love endures forever. When you want to give up, Write this thought down on a sticky note and put it on your wife's forehead or on the uh, refrigerator or wherever you want to put it. And what you're going to write on there is what? His steadfast love endures forever. Tell your spouse sometime this week, Nancy, his steadfast love endures forever. What are you going to say to your spouse sometime this week if you got one? His steadfast love endures forever. Say it to your kids. Say it to your grandkids. Maybe you're going to see some of those folks over Thanksgiving. What are you going to say to them? 
His steadfast love endures forever. And when the devil starts whispering in your ear about what a loser you are, tell him to hit the road, Jack, because his steadfast love endures forever. And when you've, you've had all you can take, when the world seems to collapse around you, stand up, lift up your heads, and shout, the steadfast love endures forever. And no matter what you're going to go through for the rest of this week, his steadfast love endures forever. And when the building project doesn't seem to be working as fast as you would like it, you are going to lean back and you are going to say what? His steadfast love endures forever. No matter what you're going to go through on Thanksgiving Day with that whole horde of relatives or the congregation plaguing you at your house, Debbie is going to look back at some point in the day and she is going to say, his steadfast love endures forever. So, so no matter what your problems are, what? His steadfast love endures forever. And no matter how you feel today, his steadfast love endures forever. I'm going to take my stand on this for the rest of the year. I'll say it by myself once. His steadfast love endures forever. Because God is God that will be just as true tomorrow as it will be in six months or six years or whatever it is. See, because God cannot change, his love for us will never, ever change. And as you gather with your family and friends for Thanksgiving, wherever it may be, can I just suggest you might want to try something this year? Maybe it'll be you and you say, before we eat today, could I read to you Psalm 136? And then ask everybody to say, and now could you say one more time, his steadfast love endures for remember. So you need to remember yourself that we serve a God who acts in history. We need to remember that his ways are not our ways. You need to ponder his mighty power in the past. You need to ponder his power in the present. You need to think of the many promises he made. And, and fix your mind on this, Jesus. To stand here and stake your claim one last time on this word. His steadfast love endures forever.